know I'm pulling I know I'm pulling it back a wee bit here, but I uh, and sometimes it's hard to catch stuff whenever you're not physically together. Um but I was so moved by our time of worship there and uh, really grateful for um for Jenny and for Amy and for Jordan um who have who have led us, helped lead us in worship today and and so for me I would just love to pray. I just found myself just um being moved to pray for their their town, for their community, for for Cavan. And uh, and so just stick with me here. Even if you've no connection with Cavan, if you've no whatever your feelings are towards Cavan, just stick with us here for a moment. Because I would just love to pray for the guys who have um, led us in worship. Um, and it's not for me. It's that there's a difference. It's not that they just have a heart for their community, for the people in their town, but they have actually caught God's heart for it. And they, and I think that's really important. And I just would love to pray that they would, as they uh, almost felt that the depth of their longing as they led us in, we want to see your kingdom here. And, uh, and I think that's the deep cry of our heart as a, as a, as a faith community here in the village of Rich Hill that, that has puts words to our, our deepest longing. And, and, uh, and so I think that is the same for the guys down in Cavan. And so I would love that we would pray for them just really quickly. Um, and I think that I'd love to pray that they would see the walls being broke down. I think the walls of prejudice, the walls of assumptions, that they would be used to break that, that all down. And so Father, I thank you for, um, I thank you for the guys that have led us today. Thank you for their family, I thank you for their their faith community that is developing in Cavan. And I just pray that the God of hope would continue to fill them with joy and peace as they trust in him. That they would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I just pray that you would use them to break down walls. To break down any types of bias, any types of assumption, any types of prejudice that are held deeply god i pray that you would use them to see your kingdom come thank you for your heart of compassion and love for our towns and villages right across this island and uh, and we pray that you would allow them to see your kingdom come and your will be done in jesus name amen thank you um wonderful uh wonderful to be together in some form again this morning, uh, wherever, whatever time you're watching, um, we're really grateful for the opportunity to be able to uh, spend this time together. I'm really grateful for for Francis. Francis is uh, is going to join me for some chat. Um, as you know, I hope you know that this is the fourth week. We really want uh, we really want this to become a pattern in our in our sunday gatherings it will take three weeks of just communicating something of what we feel god wants to speak to us uh, through whoever um and then in the fourth sunday just try to pull a couple of people together and uh, and see if there are particular threads that we can that we can pull out and so that's what we're going to try and do this morning um me and francis are going to spend the remaining time that we have uh, to do that so first of all, I just um, Francis, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. 
I I know that you are. I know that your mum too are, are wonderful, Amy. But I do also know that on the many mission trips that you have been on, you have been nicknamed Mummy Fran on. I think on many of those trips, so I, I uh, grateful for your motherly role. You're one who, your your motherly role is expressed to us every Christmas whenever you give gifts so generously to the to our church family. So, um, would you introduce yourself to start off with? Most of us here will know who you are, but for those maybe that are watching that don't, um, give us a give us a quick insight into who you are. You've become, so I should just say, you, for the last number of years, you've been Amy's mum, but now you I think you've established yourself as Francis. <laughs> Francis. So Francis, why don't you introduce yourself for a couple of minutes, please? Okay. Um, Francis, Amy's mum. <laughs> um, we became part of the drop-in and Grace Community Church family. Um, through our daughter Amy coming over and doing a gap year um, with you here and it's got to the stage now that my husband and I have moved over here um, to set up our home here and to become more active and um, involved in what, what's happening. Brilliant. Um, we're, de we're delighted about that. Yeah, um, me too. And so before we get into before we get into some of the the some of the conversation, I'm I've been inspired by Ethan for that over the last couple of weeks. And um so really quickly, Francis, I want to ask, what did Mummy Spider say to Baby Spider? No idea. You spend too much time on the web. Oh my goodness. Don't we all? <laughs> Francis, what did Mummy Broom say to Baby Broom? No idea. It's time to go to sweep. Oh. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I've loads more here, but the, the, amount of eye rolls, the amount of eye rolls that I see is uh, demoralizing that we'll move on. Although I want to say how I want to say if you're on, how how much you're on the ball this morning. Larry's mother had four children. Three of them were named North, South, and West. What was the other child's name? East? No. The Larry, of course, of course. I'm terrible with these things. <laughs> um, so let me, just before I, before we, uh, before we engage in conversation, Francis, I'd love just to, um, just to summarize really quickly where we've been. I'm not doing a wonderful job at this, to try and pack in, uh, in just a few seconds, what we've looked at over the last three weeks. But back in the 21st of February, um, we talked about uh, the way of love replacing the way of law. We spoke about um, the importance of love being other-centered approach, an other-centered approach that responds to the needs with no rules in sight. We finished off that week by um, highlighting what Paul said to the Galatians, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then the next week, as we've said, Puma, I know that you pull out some um, really important stuff that Puma talked about on the week after. Um, some of that you, you'd said that the world doesn't need any more knowledge, and I and I love that as well. The world doesn't need any more knowledge, but the call, the call to us, the challenge to us is to authentically live, to live out our faith, 
to perform the gospel we proclaim. And, uh, and Puma's text for that morning was that we would be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then last week, um, I we did a bit of a whistle-stop tour through First John, seeing some, um, but we highlighted the fact that John was revealing something that was incredibly unique about, uh, about Christianity, about uh, the God that we serve. He's a God of love. And that was a really unique idea. But, and we pushed, that, we pushed that a bit further by saying devotion to this God, love of God is demonstrated and authenticated by how we treat people. And we don't love God and neighbours, but we love God by loving our neighbours. And so we've tried to, uh, over a message and a, and a call, um, a call to try and pull the threads out of um of those three Sundays. And uh, so the first place that I, that I would really want, I would love to start, Francis, if it's okay, um, is one thing that you pointed out. I know we maybe didn't spend a huge amount of time talking about it yesterday, but um, I think it was really important. And as I think of Mother's Day, and I think of some of the, some of what me and Judith have been reflecting on this morning even, that it is true that some people, so, so many people have maybe only ever experienced conditional love and so we're going to talk for a few minutes about conditional and unconditional love and so can you just like just reflect for a few moments on what you've known what you've experienced of that to be true that some have only ever experienced conditional love yeah absolutely um in a, in a personal capacity um i feel um my relationship with my stepmom was based a lot unconditional love. Um, and partly that was his inability to be able to demonstrate and to show love effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly because she'd never experienced it herself. And, and that's the danger of these things is that they can go on and become generational. Um, and it's about how do we make that, that change for people? So to feel conditional love, it's like you're always feeling that you're having to try and meet up to needs. Yeah. You know, what I'm not doing properly. Um, you know, why am I not as good as somebody else at that? Um, why am I not meeting their expectations? Um, and, and it just leaves you with a feeling of um, inadequacy and not being good enough and um, never just quite feeling that you fit, you fit in. Um, and there's opportunities to, to, to change that. Um, and that needs to be around um, helping people to know that what's enough for one person is going to be different from what's enough to another person. And one person's achievements don't either take away from somebody else's achievements or add to them, they're just different. And that we have to respect people for, for that individuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Francis. I think it, I do think it's really important that we that just as you've done highlighted that that generational idea mm-hmm. again i know we're off we're off the beaten track already but the that that generational thing is important and yeah and if i can just read a, read a quick message here that um i read it last night it was so emotional reading this message it was a guy uh called called ben who was on twitter and he said i had 51 moves to 37 placements when i was in care and 33 convictions between 11 to 17 years old. My mum was in care and I was in care. 
And then he said, my son is 18 and never been in care. My biggest achievement is breaking that cycle. Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Beautiful. And so just when you said about acknowledging that that maybe was your, that your, that was maybe your stepmom's experience. Absolutely. I think is, is that you've, you've broken that cycle, which is, but I think it's really important for us just to point that out because I think we can get, we can get caught up in all the buzz and all the excitement of Mother's Day, but actually I think it's important, whether it's Mother's Day or whatever occasion it is, but it is important to acknowledge that it is different and difficult for, for many. And so I appreciate you being honest to tell us. It can be difficult and, um, it can be difficult and, um, happy in the same in the yeah, same sure. equal measure That's you know it. because you can have regrets but you can have celebrations and and, and good aspects because as a mum um I've never felt more loved yes yeah um as a child maybe not so and 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 I've seen that in work experience uh, you know my experience at work as well that um children often get caught up in that cycle staff would say to me you know oh I worked with her mother 10 years ago I worked with Bernardo's at the time and people would say oh I worked with her mother and they were having the same problems they got caught up in the same cycle of um you know harmful um sort of behaviors and not looking after themselves um because they're constantly seeking for love but seeking for it inappropriately um you know and they need to break that yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, I suppose coming back, kind of bring us back a wee bit to what we've been looking at. Um, while while you you push my thoughts around that conditional and unconditional, uh, I began to think again about how we have the challenge for us as as people who are, who are following the, the God of Love is that that Jesus takes us. It's almost like he he. He takes us on a bit of a journey. He doesn't say this at the start. He actually says at the start that uh, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. But by the time it, as his ministry, as the ministry goes on, and he he goes to the cross, what he what he wants to say to those before he before he goes to the cross is actually no love as I have loved you. Mm. And I, for me anyway, that there's just a, such a stark difference in that. Yeah. Sometimes we don't we the way that we love ourselves isn't that healthy. The way we treat ourselves isn't that healthy. So I think yeah. like is up and is up in the game in some ways when he's saying love as I have loved you. And so I I I know I shared this quote with you yesterday. I don't know if you've any had any more reflection on it, but love is about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. And judgment is about ascribing worth to yourself at the cost of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is, I think it's a great quote. I love quotes like that that just capture um, something really specific in that way. Um, but ab- absolutely. Um, but I think I think you're you're right when you what you started out with saying there is that um, unconditional love is such a hard concept to to achieve, to even to grasp. Um, probably, I think that only God is able to fully give us agape unconditional love um, we can strive towards it um, but we do want something back from it we do um, um, if I give if I give my love I, ultimately I want that person to love me back yeah. 
you know um but it's about doing it in a way that um it's sort of beneficial so so you you try and give your love unconditionally um you try and give your love unconditionally to 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 people um and you want it to be done in their best interests so that quote is really good because it's about um helping helping you to sort of really pinpoint that in your head and to think um you know this is to be about them it's not to be about me if i'm giving them this love is about thinking about why am I giving it um, am I giving it because it satisfies a need in me or am I giving it because it's helping them and it's doing something yeah. to make their life better yeah yeah I think that language mm-hmm. person, is it the satisfying need in me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still mm-hmm. yeah which is why which is why I continue to back to what Puma talked about that how often and actually how ugly it is whenever we build relationships with our hidden agenda. That's right. And, yeah. and I, I probably wanted to push that a wee bit further and I don't know whether, I don't know whether it's right or not, but part of me is I was continuing to reflect on that this week, I find myself getting agitated almost, like agitated with self and agitated with, with, what, I, with what I see sometimes that it's, it's not only ugly and degrading, but it's almost like it's dehumanizing. Because all you, you're not, it's almost like you move beyond seeing a person, a human being in front of you. It's, it's almost like you're seeing a project, somebody that you need mm-hmm. to convert or, or whatever. And it can be, I think it could be um, really unfair. And so I think our love can sometimes be, we want to think it's unconditional. But I think the language that, that we talked about yesterday was it can be subconsciously conditional. We like to say that it's not, it wouldn't be, but actually if we were to stop long enough and really ponder our motives and our intentions, then I think that we, we would maybe begin to see that there's maybe some, something, there is subconsciously conditions that we are setting in place. Because I think whenever we think it is our job to convert someone, we come with our preloaded scripts. Yeah. We come with our preloaded scripts and if they don't respond to it the way that we think that they should, like we, we get offended or we get upset. But if we recognize that our job is to love, our job is to value, our job is to, to see them as God sees them, then we, I think our approach is different. I think we then listen. If we know our job is to love, it's we listen, we accept. That, that doesn't mean agreement. We, we listen, mm-hmm. accept, and we sit with. To go mm-hmm. all the way back to Lila's stuff, we sit with. And so what I'd love to, like, I'd love you to talk talk about this for a few minutes, Francis, so that I think the idea of being well-intentioned is Mm. not enough. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, because I think we need to reflect on how is this being perceived by those that we are trying to love? How is this actually being perceived by our neighbours? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a great point. And after we'd spoken yesterday, I highlighted a wee bit in my notes about Lila's talk, I know it goes back beyond our three weeks. Um, but, you know, it's like, we're not the solution to their problems. Um, you know, they're not ours to fix. Um, and and the, there is a danger that um, if, we're, if we're loving somebody because it fills a need in us, and ultimately it will, it will for, all, for all of us, it will fill a need because, you know, to, um, you want to be loved as well. But um, if we're doing it 
to fill a need in us. So if our purpose is to fill the need in us rather than to support the other person, mm -hmm. then there's a danger that actually we can then further damage and undermine that person um, because we're, we're bringing, bringing them down to make ourselves feel better um, um, or we're not supporting them maybe in the way that they need to be supported. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when I worked for um, Bernardo's and I, I used to train volunteers, one of the things I used to say to them is that you have to be very um, clear on your purpose and when you share personal information about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and again, if it's because they needed to offload or because they needed to make themselves feel better, then that was definitely not a time that they should be sharing it. And there were other ways where they could share and get that support. But, um, you know, and I think it's the same when we're showing people love. Um, you know, somebody, if you're only loving the person to get something back out of it, then um, really it's not, it's not love, it's self-fulfilling self needs. You know, you're, you're, you're meeting your own needs, you're not meeting that other person's needs at all. Um, so initially, your first thought has to be is, here's somebody that I see who has a need, who is feeling unloved, um, who, who needs to feel loved, who needs to feel included, who needs to feel all these sort of words of being accepted and valued and respected. Um, I could do that for this person. Mm -hmm. I can actually reach out. And coming from a family of God's people, of a church, um, and even of individual families, you know, if you have that in a family unit, if you have that in a church or whatever setting, even in a workplace, if you have that acceptance and if you're in, in already, if it, as it were, mm -hmm. it's much easier to reach out and draw somebody else in or help them to help them to come in rather than for them to be able to sort of break into that. Very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really helpful, Francis. And, and again, to, just to, to go back to what you did say, I want, I want to highlight again, scribbling it down here. But because if we believe what you're saying, that as well as intentioned as we might think some of our approaches are, if we know, if we do not ref, like think, do not if we do not think, how is this being perceived by our neighbours? Mm -hmm. And I, what you've said is that if we if we don't think that way, we can actually do further damage and undermine yeah. what we're actually trying to do. And yeah. I, if we believe that, I think that's enough of a reason for us to. Really consider the, the how we are loving people. Yeah, language is so important as well because um, I think sometimes when we put, you know, what worked for us, um, what we do, I think when we put that out to people, um, um, you know, right in their face straight away. It's almost it almost could leave them with a feeling of, oh, I don't do that. I'm not I'm not good enough. I'm you know I'm not Christian enough. I'm not. I don't get up at six o'clock in the morning and spend an hour praying. Um, so am I not good enough here? Um, so I think we have to be careful about how we say things to people and how we how we put things to people, yeah. and help them to find a way to do things that works for them. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, I think we have to be careful that our words don't come over as being critical. Yeah. And I think there's a I think there's a real danger of that in telling people all our successes 
that actually it then becomes a criticism to them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so it brings me further on uh, that my notes here, but that, that idea of word, words are critical. So I think sometimes mm-hmm. I would see people thinking that they're telling the truth in love. Mm-hmm. I think how, it's, how it would be perceived if it was me, if I'm in their shoes, how it is perceived by me is that sounds that sounds judgmental. It sounds that you are condemning. It sounds yes. like all of that not nice stuff. But actually then I think of if I was to love the way that he, Jesus loved me, that's so when I go back and think, Jesus didn't, he didn't condemn me. He didn't shame me. But he, he laid down his life for me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I think that's why words are critical because it's mm-hmm. it's the embodiment that is so much more important than what we than what we say. I think most of the time, yeah. Um, and so even the timing of our words and all of that. Yes, is maybe another con- different conversation. Yeah, but- because there's times when you can say things in a much more direct way once you actually have an established loving relationship with a person. Yeah. But at the outset, if you were to say that, you would probably not get first, you know, past the first stage of building the relationship. Yeah, very good. I remember uh, Thomas Edison, I think it was Thomas Edison said, a good intention with a bad approach often leads to a poor result. And Perfect. Uh, I think that approach <laughs> and, and I think again, just um, so much thought stirred from from our, our interactions together. and. Um, the way this this way of love in, in some ways is simpler, but it's so much more demanding, and and so I think the challenge to us is that whenever we acknowledge that and we're talking about some of the maybe you have people in mind that that are that are coming to your thoughts as we're talking here, like we need to be more willing to play the long game. I think we need to we need to be willing to be more patient, because um, I think it, it this requires this way of love, this way of unconditional love or the pursuit of unconditional love is i think it demands it requires a willingness to play the the long game um mm. and so there again we're, we're we are we've only a, i think we've only a few minutes left here francis and i think we're going to, we're to feel like we're getting started here yeah but i am um, i was thinking about paul's letter to to timothy recently and i think for me again it was helpful it was helpful to my approach to other people is helpful for how i look at other people and how well i can love other people when i th- thought of timothy say or paul saying to timothy i in the letter to timothy i'm the worst i'm the chief sinner and i think the more i thought about that like, i don't think it would be it wouldn't be in line with what everything else that paul's saying if that was if his language here was to self-condemn i think its language here is one of revealing his posture and I think his posture was whenever he says that he's the worst of sinners, it means there is nobody that he can look down on. Yes. Whenever you take, whenever you take that posture, there's nobody that you can look down on. You're looking yeah. up. And I think that that is a real, for me, that was really significant, reflecting on that. Because if I take that posture that Paul is encouraging us, um, even reminding us that that's, that's a really good place to be, I think it helps how we view people and love people. Um, yeah. And consider them and their needs a, a wee bit, a wee bit better. Um, I want to touch on this for Miss Francis because again, I think you've maybe highlighted or touched on it a couple of times. But if you give some of your thoughts and even some of your like 
your experience on the fact that not everybody accepts this love so readily. I know we've been dipping in that a wee bit, but the importance, if you speak a wee bit to the importance of just being aware of the, the story or the needs of an individual. Okay, so um, again, through, um, through work that I've done previously, um, I can think of two or three examples of people that I've worked with, um, all of whom had come from really, really com complicated, really uh, difficult backgrounds, complex issues. Um, um, and there, there, there's one in particular, and this didn't happen to me, but it happened to another person that I worked with. Um, it was set up for this young person to, to, to come in and meet with, um, it was actually a volunteer. And to cut a very long story short, five weeks in a row, the volunteer turned up and the young person apparently didn't show. Um, and on the, the fifth occasion, the worker said, look, you know, you can't keep having this person coming in here um, and not turning up. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, I was just watching from over the road. I just wanted to make sure that they were going to stick by me. And, and you keep coming and persevere and come in. Mm -hmm. And so the young person had been there each and every occasion, but hadn't made themselves known. Um, so because they wanted to know how much was this person going to invest in them and how, um, you know, how committed they were going to be. Um, a lot of the um, young people that um, we worked with, um, um, I, I said to you when we were talking, I think a lot of the issues were based around poor, poor mental health. And I think the poor mental health um, came from their feelings of um, abandonment, um, not feeling loved, not feeling accepted, being made to feel different. Mm -hmm. You know, not always, you know, because I think, I think people make you feel different. You know, you are who you are, you're an individual person, but other people's, um, the way they respond to you um, and the way they engage with you can make you feel different. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that's a, I think that's a challenge uh, for us is to get that right. Um, but almost without exception, each of the cases, the, the um, young people I worked with, they still wanted to go back and have some sort of a connection. They were older teenagers, but they still wanted to go back and have some sort of a connection with their families because they wanted to feel that that love. They, they didn't understand why they didn't get that from the very people who were um, supposed to be the key givers uh, of, of love. And so they wanted to go back and they wanted to build that relationship. Um, and I think, um, you know, and the thing that you were talking about as well, where that person broke that cycle, I think when they can do that, that is just the ultimate achievement because it's very difficult. People get cut in a a, a circle and a trap or a cycle, I should say, um, of repeating the same um, experiences that they've gone through. Um, and it's actually very difficult to break out of. And I think when people can do that, and one of the young people I'm working with just now, he came to me um, having just left prison and worked with some of our staff in the prison. Um, and although I'm not working, um, anymore I'm continuing to mentor them um, and um, the reason I decided to do that is because he just had such a huge um, impact on me of his um, commitment and his desire to 
to succeed in life and to make a difference in his life and to change the cycle that he'd come through and that his mum had come through and his mum is still caught in and it's you know it's a cycle of uh, alcohol and drugs and convictions and and, and all sorts um, and and he's now this will be his second year of being almost totally clean from uh, drugs and alcohol um, uh, and is is it's changing. He's got a long way to go, and he's and he's got a hard a hard way to go yet. Um, but just his his commitment, his desire. I just wanted to be able to um, support him in that, and just let him know that there was somebody in his corner cheering him all the way, and recognizing all the successes, um, however small, however small they were. Um, and uh, he he keeps in touch, and it's really quite sweet actually. Um, and I, and I think it's, I'm not really doing anything very much at all. Mm-hmm. I'm just letting them know that actually somebody notices he's making a difference yes. and he's doing something different. Yeah, and isn't that amazing? That, that does sound, like you're, mm-hmm. yeah, it does sound simple, but the impact yeah. it has is so yeah. huge. Yeah. And even yeah. acknowledging that he's going to do, I think it goes back mm-hmm. to saying that this the transformation, loving people really well, it requires being willing to play the long game it requires definitely the long game yeah. keep on listening even when mm-hmm. they let you down even when they're there resist or reject that love that you're trying to pour out yeah throw the head up get offended and disappointed and walk out you continue to yeah show up because they're watching just keeping that connection and keeping that keeping that line open so that they know that you know you will respond um uh, and you know you will um, ultimately, just be there to be that person for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as I've said to you, Francis, I I would like to think that as uh, as someone as part of a team leading church, that um, I I I value fresh eyes that come in because I think we all have blind spots, and uh, and so as much as I love our I love our church family, I. I love the idea of, I, I really want us to flourish as family. I want everybody within our church community to flourish as family. But I'm also aware that we will definitely not always get it right. I'm aware that there will be blind spots that we miss out, that we miss stuff. And, and so, so again, as I've said to you, there is willingness for you to push us. There's a willingness for you, or willingness in me for you to, to push us if there's areas that you think that we we could do better in but anyway rather that can be heard at a different time maybe but 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 if there is something you do want to say about how can we keep doing what we're talking about here how can we keep doing that or doing it better speak a wee bit maybe even about the importance of the welcome and the and the just the yeah. inclusivity that we are longing for people to to feel and experience yeah so um yeah that welcome i think is hugely important i think when somebody comes new to a church and and I love our church <laughs> I love our church and our church family too um, but I think from experiences I've had in going to church um, you don't always feel that um, often I think people who come come new to a church um, whether they're a visitor or whether they're somebody who's you know viewing to come 
on an ongoing basis, there can be an awkwardness in coming in. Um, there can be a concern of, are people going to accept me? Are they going to judge me? Um, and I think it is just about making sure that welcome is absolutely spot on, um, even to the point of taking people um, and, you know, helping them to get their coffee, taking them through, finding them somebody that they can sit with if you're not able to stay at that point, um, you know, introducing them to people, just really almost kind of going overboard on it. Um, but actually, it's just to get past that, that's that that feeling of awkwardness when you walk in. Um, just very briefly, when I went to the church that I just left uh, in Scotland, when I first started going there, I went for um, four or five weeks and came away each time feeling completely unwelcome, um, actually to the point of thinking, I can't do that anymore, and ended up going to another church for a good number of years. And it was because it was, um, I suppose, well, I don't know what it was because, I suppose it because it was a, 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 a church in a village where um, most of the people who went to the church had been going to the church for so long and they were quite settled in their ways, maybe stuck if I'm being mean, but um, uh, they didn't appreciate the difficulty of somebody coming in new, particularly somebody coming in on their own. Um, I then, um, a, a number of years later, decided to come back to, I, I just felt that... Um, God had called me to come back to my community church, my, my local church, um, and, and be there and serve there. And um, came back and found the welcome so much better. Um, but it was something that stuck with me, and I made it and, and try and make it, um, because I felt a new person, because we moved around a lot when I was a child as well, so I felt, I felt like the kind of the new person for quite a long time in my life. Um, I try and make sure that I do notice things like that. Um, and it's funny the impact it can have because um, I was very good friends with a lady in, in my last church and she had been coming to the church for maybe about, oh, it could easily have been 15 years and we were having a discussion about something and it came out, she said that I was the first person who'd spoken to her when she came to the church and I had taken her and found her somebody to sit with it was a very old-fashioned sort of traditional church and everybody had their pews and it was like kind of woe betide if you sat in somebody else's <laughs> pew or somebody else's seat. Um, but I had taken her and found her somebody to sit with and introduced her. Um, and I can't even remember that. Even now she's told me, I actually genuinely can't remember that. But the impact that I had for her was that she then stayed in that, that, that church and made it her home. Yeah. Um, so small things that you do, um, if I've got time, I could just give another wee example. So, but, but referring back to um, a work situation, um, just not long before I finished up at work, there was um, somebody uh, came to visit the service who had been uh, an ex-service receiver um, and said that a letter he had received when he had moved on from the service was the key thing that turned his life around. And so his worker at the time had sat down and written them a letter about all the things that he, all the potential that he could see in him, the things that he'd achieved, the things that he had done. Um, and 
um, the things that he was hoping for this person for the future. Now, this worker, would that was his thing. He would do that with his young people, but he could not remember this letter specifically. And yet, that was the key thing that had turned that young man's life around. And he was doing really well in life and had a really big success. Brilliant. So, small things. And it goes back to my quote of my mother, Teresa, quote that I had shared with you about, we can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And I love that quote. Beautiful. But you know what, whenever, just when you're telling that story, I can't help but think of Matthew 25, because I think that's when you know that it's, it's, you're not doing it to fulfill your own needs. You're not doing it mm -hmm. with your own agenda whenever you don't even remember doing it. Yeah. it puts me in mind of whenever you come, to, whenever Jesus came and said, uh, you did this and you did that. And you're like, Lord, when did we do that? When did we do that? Yes. <laughs> I don't even remember doing that. It was just so much part of who I was and what I wanted to do. I don't even remember doing that, um, which I think reveals how little agenda that you do have whenever you get to that place. Um, so yeah, I think all of that's really important for us, Francis. And I'll just wrap up here with, I think we're just, I'm so challenged by that because I want to know, I want our church, I actually want our church to reflect what our community looks like. So I don't want everybody to all look the same. And as much as I love everybody that's in our church, I don't want everybody to look the same. I want whenever we walk into church that it's a reflection of our community. So it causes me to ask, are we truly inclusive? Do people truly feel accepted? Do they all feel at home? Because the challenge continues to be for us all is how we treat others is how we treat him. Mm -hmm. Again in Matthew 25. How we treat others is how we treat him. We love him by loving our neighbours and I think we struggle with this at times because I think we feel that we need to have the right to control who is in and who is out we feel like we have we need to have that it goes right back to the garden and we are still eating of that tree the not we the knowledge of good and evil we're still eating from that tree we want to be able to have the power of judgment to, to know who is in and who is out we need to abandon that we need to, to, to lay some of that down let go of our desire to control the border, to put it, yeah. to put it another way. Anything else, Francis, you want to share before we finish? No, I think I'm good. Well, there's just one, there's just one final quick story I want to share before. Um, I would love just to ask that you would pray for us. So, uh, just as a mother, we pray a blessing on our church family. Pray a blessing on those who are listening in, joining us today as well. But I just uh, just was reading this reading this story during the week, and I don't know if this lady was a mother, but she was an inspiration for me. She was such an inspirational lady, and her name was Mary Glover, and she was an elderly lady, and she was she herself was poor, but she worked as a she worked in a daycare center in a really um, in a really rundown part of Washington D.C. And uh, in this neighborhood, it was, a, it was a rough place. It was a tough place that was filled with people, go back to Matthew 25, filled with people that were truly considered the least of these. And so this little lady purred herself, um, that's what she gave herself to. She led the team of volunteers. She was a volunteer leader of, in the center. And she, it was her responsibility to get all the food ready, to get all of the volunteers ready for 200 families. And so just before the door opened, for years, she was the one that always prayed the prayer. 
she prayed she prayed the prayer just before they opened the doors for these 200 families in this really difficult neighborhood those people considered the least of these she opened the doors but before she opened the doors she prayed and this prayer i i just was so moved by it she thanked god for the day she thanked god that she was still alive she wasn't in the grave that she was still alive it's a flowery language but she said um always ended their prayer with lord we know that you'll be coming through this line today so help us to treat you well Lord, you will, we know that you'll be coming through this line today, so help us to treat you well. And when somebody heard, when somebody, um, heard about her, they lived quite close, and they actually for years went to volunteer, and they got there in time because they wanted to hear her pray that prayer every morning. It's such an impact on them. And, the, and this guy, he asked her the question, what's your strategy? And uh, she said her strategy was when she sees people for the first time, she smiles at them. And when the next time when she sees them, she'll say hi or how are you doing? And then the next time, she'll slow down a bit and give them a chance to answer back. And then she said, then it begins and I learn how they need help. Again, really simple story, really simple illustration. As you read more about this incredible lady, the power of that strategy and that way of engaging was so powerful. And so thanks everyone for continuing to be with us. Um, I know we went, uh, it's not Francis's fault, it's my fault, we've went uh, way past our time, but thanks, if you're still with us, thank you for that. And I'm just gonna ask Francis that she would pray for us and uh, finish off our time together. Thank you, Francis, thanks for, thanks for this. Okay. Father God, thank you for the time that we can come together in these Zoom calls. And um, Father, we're praying for the day that we can come together and meet um, physically in our church again. Lord, help us to have eyes that um, see the needs and show us where we can love better, show us where we can um, meet people where they are and help, help them to, um, to feel truly loved um, in, in the church and in the community and wherever we are out in our day. Um, Lord, just pray a blessing on everybody here. Um, pray that everybody um, feels, feels your love today on this Mother's Day. So where people are feeling a bit um, neglected or um, where they're feeling that um, they maybe aren't loved in the way that they should be, Lord, will you help um, us to be able to fill that gap and will you let them feel your love so that they will know what it feels like? Um, yeah, Lord, just help us to, to meet the needs in the community better, help us to meet each other's needs better and just help us to really truly listen and know what, what you want us to be doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.